And we're back. Sorry about that. So my wife, uh, using my account, had scheduled another Zoom meeting at this time. Life in COVID, right? So um, oh, yes, <laughs> that meant everyone got kicked off, even me. Um, so I was going to suggest uh, Ratzinger's book commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, the Life of Christ, where he does a great job of he's in dialogue with a rabbi actually, and the point that a lot of the Sermon on the Mount actually is not unique teaching to Jesus but that many of the rabbis say very many of the things that Jesus says. Yeah. And the point that Pope Benedict makes is that that's fine because um, the point is the, the one who gave the message, right? When he says that whole, I have not come to abolish to, to fulfill, it's not just the teaching that's being fulfilled. It's him he is the fulfillment of those teachings. He, mm -hmm. he, he is the reason why there's life giving in the, in the law eventually and why the law ends mm. is because the law can't actually rise from the dead. It has to be Jesus. Mm -hmm. The law can't save us as it, the law can't vivify our flesh <laughs> in the way that the deified man, God, the God man did. I mean, I think it really comes down to the incarnation is not ideas about law and grace or faith, you know, like ideas of faith alone, all that stuff. It is because of the God man. Um, mm. He is the reason. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I think that's exactly what the preaching is in the book of Acts, right? That's day. He will not let his uh, beloved uh, rot. He's going to mm -hmm. raise him from the dead. So, Let's, uh, as we were all silenced through another meeting happening, let's start in verse 12. <laughs> um, Reed, would you read 12 through 21? Sure. Do you mind if I do that out of my Bible here? Oh, I guess so. Otherwise, I have to take off my glasses and put my nose two inches from the screen. Oh, please don't do that. I'm on my little phone, yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Hmm. What do you all think of this passage? You don't think much of this passage? I want to know what he's quoting. I'm looking. My footnote says Amos 9, 11, and 12. Uh-huh.
Well, one thing that strikes me here is, and in this whole passage, um, and it took me a long time ever to see this, they are talking only about how to respond to Gentiles who are coming to believe in Jesus. Right. They are not in any fashion talking about the practice of the Jews changing. Huh, yeah. Um, I mean, that comes in time, but it's not here. Uh, and it's not, I think, anywhere in the book of Acts. And yeah, I think what eventually happens, basically, in early Christianity, <clears throat> although in Syria, Syriac uh, and <clears throat> Christianity informs that, you have a lot more of a... Do what, David? In the Syriac-speaking churches and those influenced there, you can see a more Semitic and Jewish um, things that they'll keep as part of the tradition that in the wider Greco-Roman context, some of those particularities of Jewish uh, practices fall off. They don't, they don't, mm -hmm. they don't stick because I think of what you're saying, like there, I wouldn't say their ethnicity yet, but there's a desire, the, as they become something else, they lose some of those same desire to have those markers. Uh, so once you're three generations away, you're no longer, you, you might not circumcise anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting that the, the point James is making here, and that will later be written in the, the letter that's disseminated, it, it seems primarily to be, Let's not make it hard for the Gentiles, right? Let's not put barriers in their ways. There are a few basic things that we ought to instruct them about. Um, and what then, do you think uh, about, so what, why these, these things in verse 20? Of all the things why, of, of, from Moses, why these things? Well, I mean, I the mean, first two. Well, go ahead, Erica. Well, yeah, like, uh, like idolatry and unchastity, like that makes sense. Uh, right. But like, as far as the, uh, I guess the what is clean, like food, like like that almost feels like a direct contradiction <laughs> to uh, Peter's vision. Flesh that out for me. <laughs> oh boy I'm um, laughing at my joke too the flesh out killing but anyways. well you know I'd, and to a vegan too father um, oh, sorry <laughs> we're going to have to talk about strangling animals now um, well I mean just kind of in the general sense of uh, like Levitical law like there's a list of things that are not okay to eat and even the things that are okay to eat have to be prepared in a very specific certain way uh and uh you know in peter's vision it's kind of the the blanket coming down from heaven and you know yep. like nothing is unclean uh i mean and yeah that's kind of symbolic of like yeah you're you're preaching to the gentiles but uh I don't know if like the surface meaning of uh, like as far as the diet dietary Levitical law is been abrogated at this point. Interesting, huh? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I wonder too, 
I mean, again, the, the first two of these, I think, were e extremely common in Roman society or Greek society, namely, uh, you know, you, you ate in the temples, you ate the things that were sacrificed to idols, that's where you got a lot of your meat. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sexual immorality, at least. Is even practiced um, in, the, in the temples. Right. Um, and then a, a thought just struck me. I mean, a couple of things I think about blood is, you know, first of all, the prohibition on blood predates Moses. It goes all the way back to Noah. Yeah. Which always seems like that gives it a particular weight. But also, of course, um, I mean, these people were receiving the body and blood of the Lord. And so the idea, you're, you're not having the blood of an animal. I, I wonder if perhaps that's part of it. Right, and, right. You know, you know what, I'm, it, it seems to me as I put these things together, this is all about temple stuff. As in, great, you're coming in, but stay away from the pagan temples. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's where you're going to drink blood or like mm -hmm. have blood stuff, sprinkle on stuff. They're going to strangle the animal. They're going to kill animals and offer them up to idols. I also, and, and chastity, I mean, that was par for the course. You went to the temple, there was temple, pro I mean, there, <laughs> there was literally part of the religion. Um, and that all flows from the idolatry. So, you know, I've seen ink spilled about this of just like, so they are keeping some of the Mosaic law. But I think, Reed, that you're onto something that's also a part of Paul's argument in Romans, um, that there is something that, that he senses there's a kind of a natural law or something that's older than the Mosaic law, that he can go back behind it and say, look, see, Abraham was saved by faith. He wasn't saved by the, the Mosaic law. Um, I think there's something about 20 with idolatry generally in the temples that flows makes sense in the context of the next sentence in 20 in verse 21, that from from early generations, Moses has been all over the Mediterranean being preached. So there's a common sense of like, there needs to be a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles about this and the Gentiles who become Christian they need to change their ways about this. They need to stay out of the temples. I also think this, this is reinforced from Paul and all of the debate that goes on in first Corinthians about, do we eat, <clears throat> you know, and meat sacrificed to idols. <clears throat> so should we read the next, try to get done with this chapter or should we call it a night? Cause it's eight 43. We got, we started a little late and also got a little flustered there. <laughs> keep moving what else we got Turn. to do tonight right <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, I'll read verse 22 and on then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brethren with the following letter. The brethren, both the apostles and the elders, 
To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greeting. <clears throat> Since we have heard that some persons from us have troubled you with words and settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from unchastity. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, oh, prophets again, exhorted the brethren with many words and strengthened them. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brethren to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. <clears throat> the thing I'd like to highlight from this passage is something that we still practice today in the Orthodox Church. Uh, which is there is some authority that emanates from the apostles and the elders. Um, they've heard there's an issue in a local, <clears throat> I won't say diocese because they're not dioceses yet, but let's just say there's trouble in a, another diocese. Some of my people are messing with your people. We didn't tell them to do it, but you know what? We've talked about it. You've sent your folks to us, you know, representatives, um, we now send Judas and Silas to you. So you have these kind of representative folks going um, to basically sustain the relationship, underline uh, what they have uh, come to agree with. And they, they take the weight of their decision as a community uh, and as leadership of the apostles and elders, that it was something that was approved by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just bureaucracy. There's something uh, important about um, the Holy Spirit being involved with this. Um, <clears throat> I think that this is the shown, especially in 30 and 31, and just the way in which they were received the letter and how they rejoiced in receiving this letter. Um, and again, I think it's fascinating that we have prophets again. <clears throat> so we have an exchange program from a diocese to another diocese of some uh, preachers. Strengthen the fellowship between the, uh, the, the diocese. Obviously, that's a little idiosyncratic, but or reading it back in. But that is the, basically what I see going on. I mean, it's really striking, you know, partly because I just would not have seen it for so much of my life, that, you know, plainly the church here, in God's mercy, has a form of government, yep. and the, the assembled apostles and elders in Jerusalem feel like it's their place to render a decision and to disseminate it, and they yep. take the practical steps for doing so, and, you know, this outline church you know, sent someone to ask about it and is happy to receive the answer. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> we, 
I don't know what it was and I get it because you want, there's the desire and the Protestant desire for like apostolic teaching and the purity of that. But it always seemed to like locate that in like these propositions in the new Testament that you have to ferret out. That seems like there's no such thing that occurs now to this day. Like as if the church is, (laughs) I don't know, just an assembly of folks who have the same opinions about stuff as opposed to like a body that needs to be like led and governed in a certain way. I, it's hard for me to get back into that mindset of how I was raised, but I used, I had it. I could also go ahead, Erica. Um, kind of jumping back to like the last section. That's not really a section because you know, that's imposed later on, but, um, Like, I just find it really interesting, especially coming uh, as a former Catholic, of how um, all of the apostles kind of were in on the decision and not just Peter by himself. Um, I don't know. Um, Yep. See it a little bit different now. Uh, So it's fascinating. I don't know if I've told you all before, but I did a... um week-long intensive course at Holy Cross Seminary years ago, before, way before seminary, when I was an undergrad still. <clears throat> and we had, and it was open to other graduate students of theology in general, and we had Catholics who were in there, and we were reading the Apostolic Fathers. Man, the way they read Ignatius and uh, Clement and others, you, it was like mm, Trent. That occurred in uh, 80 AD. It's just not, they don't, they're in the early church. There is definitely a veneration for Peter as the chief apostle. He's a leader. I mean, the gospels, I think it's evident of that. But this idea that there's kind of. Um, He's the only not, one making the decision. Yeah, it's a, and, and I know there could be like, I think there's better articulations in Catholic circles for this rather than the kind of and I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Catholic answers. I'm just using that as a general, like apologetic stuff that you can get in certain Roman Catholic circles that is so ahistorical, um, that is so like, you know, mathematics of like logical positions that don't actually, uh, are not rooted in the reality or history of, of Rome, of the Sea of Rome. <clears throat> nah. <laughs> <laughs> And I say that as someone who has a deep reverence for the Roman church, I just disagree with them on very specific things. Yeah. Same. So uh, let's go ahead and finish these last few verses so we can say we got through a chapter tonight. (laughs) Um, By the way, it's taken me a a while to get back with you. I'm back. I'm on my phone. Oh, good. You were having some internet issues or something. I'll tell you what it is. I finally figured out what's going on. Somebody's watching Netflix. I've got a <laughs> Zoom meeting. I know I've got a Zoom meeting coming up. Oh. Uh, I host these Zoom meetings for other groups, and this one's coming up on 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 Saturday, and it's going to be a big one. It's going to have about a hundred people at it. It's, it's a nationwide thing, and so I get these people who want to sign into the meeting days in advance yeah that happens to, yeah somebody the yeah, other day tried to sign into this one 
And when you do that, when you do that to me, my computer thinks, "Oh, it's time to go to this other Zoom meeting." Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that had anything to do with us all of us crashing earlier or not. It no, might that have. was purely my wife. <laughs> okay. Well, I okay. Well, I, I I had it happening on my end. Gotcha. Well, I figured well, as long as I'm on the phone, I'm safe. There you go. So let's. Uh, I'm going to read these last few verses, and then uh, we can comment, and then call it a night. Uh, Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, come, let us return and visit the brethren in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and, not, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp contention so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. <clears throat> Paul must have been quite a character. <clears throat> yeah. He, he was a unifier and a uh, divider. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he's a unifier as long as you agree with him. Seems so. If you're on board, get on board. If you don't, he's going his way. And there's the. Road. I can't imagine a leader like that, but never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, this, of course, is. I think it's interesting that this is placed here. Besides, I'm sure historically, this occurred, but it also it also seems to, excuse me, underlie, again. Uh, disagreement in the early church and people kind of going their own way about things. Um, but that didn't necessarily necessitate like the end of all things or, you know, it's just like, all right, I'm not really comfortable with that fellow coming with us. And Brian says, well, all right, I'm going to do uh, my preaching too. And that was that. I don't think this is just um, Luke telling us historical stuff i think that this just um i think there is something to discern here well of course rather famously there are little mentions in a couple of paul's epistles later that make it very clear that eventually mark became important to paul and even dear to him mm. Apparently, first impression was not positive. <laughs> well, and of course, I mean, that's mentioned just, I mean, you can easily miss it, but a, a few chapters earlier on Paul's first missionary journey that they reached whatever it was, Pamphylia, and then it says, and Mark left them. Yeah. Um, and, and no more is said about it than just that, at, at, at yeah. that location. Any other comments? Maybe as we read forward, we'll come across this again and it'll have more resonance as we go forward. And, and we, I, have we encountered, it seems to me we've either encountered this John called Mark before or we're going to encounter him again. Reed was just saying that we encountered, we'd already encountered him once. Is he's, that what you were saying, Reed? And I was looking it up at the same time you were talking. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think we've actually seen them a couple of places um, I because so I think, too. I mean, I think when Peter 
was uh, let out of prison by the angel. He went to John Mark's house. Yeah. But then also, um, there in 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departed, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. There and we go. I th it seems like we also read somewhere that Mark is like Barnabas's nephew. So the family some, thing. Some family tie, and as I recall, Barnabas it's is from... Or it's family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like Barnabas is from Cyprus. Yes. That I know, because we covered that uh, when we first encountered Barnabas. Hmm. That he was a Cypriot. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else about Acts 15? No, I'm confused enough. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> well, next week we'll do Acts 16, and I'm going to stop the recording right now. Okay.